Deuteronomy 15 is, uh, is a great chapter. It, it really is. At the end of every seven years, you shall make a release, verse 1. Now, the Hebrew word for release and forgiveness, this is the same idea. The idea was that they were to forgive or let everyone off their, their debt uh, at the end of seven years. And, of course, it's talking in the context about, uh, I guess, material uh, debt and material poverty. But we get some, some absolutely amazing uh, encouragement here to the life of uh, forgiveness. Uh, verse 2, uh, they were to uh, announce this uh, year of release. Uh, it shall be called the Lord's release. Verse 2 is a, is a poor translation. The idea of called is to, to call out, to announce. Uh, the Lord's release is to be proclaimed. And I think that this is picked up and alluded to in the Great Commission in, in Luke, in Luke's record of it, that we are to call out, we are to announce the, the year of, of forgiveness, of release to the whole world, that legitimate debts, these, these debts that are in view here in, in Deuteronomy are legitimate, a guy borrowed some money off somebody, borrowed some animals, uh, and he's got to give them back, it's a legitimate debt that he's got, this is to be written off. This is to be released. And I, I love the idea of release because it's a release, a relief for everybody. Of course, including for the person who is doing the, the releasing. They are releasing themselves. And it is called the Lord's release. And the idea is, of course, you are to release every seven years those who are in debt to you because it's the Lord's release. In other words, his release is to be yours. And so this, of course, is at the root of so much New Testament teaching, that as we have been forgiven or released, so we are to release others. Now, of course, it's also counter-instinctive to do this, totally counter-intuitive. By rights, somebody is in debt to me, and, well, they should pay it. That is just absolutely normal. And I think the only way that you can find motivation to release them and release you from all the angst and worry about it is to realize that this is the Lord's release. We think of those enigmatic words in Matthew 16:19 and 18, verse 18, that what you bind is bound by God in heaven and what you release or unloose is somehow loosed by God in heaven. I don't think that can mean that if you don't forgive somebody, then neither does God. But I would look at it the other way, that the Lord's release is to be your release. And that there's a kind of a mutuality as well in that. That what you choose to, to release people from, uh, God takes notice of that and releases them from it. So he says, verse 2, um, you may not exact it of your neighbor. And this word is normally translated, the Hebrew word for exact, uh, to demand. It, it's usually translated to oppress. Interesting uh, how God chooses to use the Hebrew language, that the idea of oppressing and the idea of demanding a legitimate uh, debt it, uh, is the same word. It's the same word that's used uh, a number of times in Exodus for Taskmasters, that's how it's translated, taskmasters, uh, Exodus 3, 7, 5, verses 6, 10, 13, and 14. 
So then, if you demand of others what you legitimately could demand of them, you are effectively treating God's people as the Egyptians did. And of course, the whole theme of Deuteronomy especially is that because of God's deliverance of you from Egypt, you are not to act like Egyptians to other people. And he seems to take the idea further here by saying that if you demand repayment of what is legitimately owed to you, that is all the same a form of oppression, of being a taskmaster over somebody else. It is a form of abuse. And yet in secular life, we'd say, no, that's not abuse at all. That's a foolish and weak position. Uh, if you're owed something, then you are owed something, and it must be repaid. But I think the, the apparent injustice of it is to simply highlight the fact that if you really have a sense of the huge, unpayable debt that you have been released from, then you will never demand any legitimate debt from another, or you will not demand its repayment. And this is really taught, isn't it, in the parable of the two debtors. One wonders if the Lord got his idea for that out of this chapter. Uh, the man who's forgiven it goes and has uh, forgiven so much goes and grabs hold of some other guy who owes him something which I suppose to him was obviously significant and says pay me what you owe uh, and of course it's all so wrong because he should have walked off into the rest of his life every single second of the rest of his life thinking wow I was forgiven so much now it's easy to think that this is all talking about money and we live in a society that is money and cash crazy but people can owe you, can legitimately be in your debt over things that are nothing to do with money. We may jokingly say to uh, each other, you owe me big time. You owe me big time. There are all sorts of ways that we get in debt with each other. It's totally nothing to do with finance. Uh, and you know that. Each and every one of us have got people who owe us a huge amount. And the mixed up bits of our lives are, I think, a direct reflection of the fact that we have not released them nor released ourselves from that. Now, getting back to, uh, to money again, verse 4 Save when there shall be no poor among you, for the Lord shall greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance to possess it. So it was God's intention that his blessing would be so great that there would be no poor people. But why say that in this context? He's saying, look, let people off their debts, because there will be no poor among you. I don't think he's saying, yeah, well, if you uh, forgive them their debt, then they won't be driven into the poverty that you demanding them pay their debt might drive them into. You, you could take it that way. But I would take it this way. I would say that we have here a piercing psychological insight into why we demand the payment of debt. And it is our fear that if we do not get paid, we shall be driven into poverty of some sort or another. And God's saying, look, I'm going to bless you. You won't be poor. So don't demand the repayment of debt. 
Uh, and that, that is really how it is, that even in material terms, I've lived in many poor countries and mixed with many poor people, but uh, as David said, I have never seen the seed of the righteous begging bread. Now, of course, you may lose your wealth. Yes, that's certainly on the cards uh, for anyone who is following Jesus. Uh, but you will not be driven into this abject, starving poverty. That is the promise of Scripture. And as I say, I have never seen God fail to fulfill that promise. So then he's saying, don't worry that you will be driven into poverty unless you force this guy to repay you. You will not, I promise you. And as I say, it's not only true about financial debt. We may think, I have to have this sorted out. I have to have that statement about me retracted. I have to have... Uh, that sorted out we cannot let this rest why can't you just push yourself on that question why can't you why can't you let it rest and I, I suppose it's because you would feel that you are somehow permanently diminished but in a sense God's blessing of you is so great that it's quite independent of whether that fella or that uh, former wife of yours or that whoever takes it all back it, it's his blessing is so great that so what you will not be driven into uh, personal or psychological poverty if you accept God's blessing of you incidentally in verse 6 uh, the Lord is going to bless you he says and you shall lend unto many nations but you shall not borrow and that is often mentioned, oh yeah, Jewish people, um, uh, great money lenders, etc., fulfilling this verse. But actually, verse 5 says, only if you carefully hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe to do all these commandments. Well, Israel did not carefully hearken to the voice of their God, and they did not observe to do all these commandments. But God still, for some reason, blessed them in terms of verse 6, that they did lend to many nations, and they do so today. And I, I just think, just in passing, that's a great example of God's grace, how he just seems to love doing this kind of thing, saying, you know, this will happen if you're obedient. Like he says, if you are obedient, then you shall be a kingdom of priests to me. Well, they weren't obedient, but he still calls them a kingdom of priests. Um, he, he seems to love just pouring out this grace. He loves generosity. And that uh, really should be a great pattern to us who have benefited so much from it. Now, in verse 7 then, If there be among you a poor man of one of your brethren, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide unto him, and lend him sufficient for his need, in that which he lacks or wants. And he keeps on talking, verse 9, about your eye being evil or mean against your poor brother. And yet he, he said in, in verse uh, 4, uh, 4 and 5, that if you obey God, you will not be poor. There will not be, the poor, there will not be poor amongst you if you carefully hearken to the voice of the Lord your God. So you could argue that the, the poor person is in fact someone, according to the context of this, uh, these verses, who has not carefully hearkened to the voice of the Lord his God. Now, I know in our society today, uh, people can be poor, as we would use the term, quite apart from uh, 
their righteousness or disobedience or whatever. Um, but I think what he's saying is that you will not be driven, no one will be driven to desperate poverty of starvation, let us put it that way, if they diligently hearken to, to God's voice. Uh, but he says here, well, anyway, but if you come across such a poor person, you must lend to him. And I think the connection of thought is such that he's saying, even if you consider that this person is poor or is in desperate straits because of their own sin, because they have not been diligently uh, obeying the voice of the Lord their God, still bail them out. And actually that, I think, is probably the number one reason why I am not as generous as I should be to people, and probably you are not either, because we tend to think, yeah, but it's your fault. You know, you get your money from the social at the end of the month, and what, you blow it in a week. And then you come to me two weeks later and say, I don't have any food. Well, you shouldn't have blown your money. Sure, absolutely. But, what does he say here? If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, you will not have people in this position, but when somebody is in that position, you should still bail them out. And everything in us cries out against that, especially those of us brought up with a sort of Protestant work ethic that uh, you work and you don't bum around and uh, you know you, you somehow uh, put bread on the table. Uh, it's very difficult to, to take this on board until you realise the irreparable debt unpayable debt that you have or have had to God and the, the depth of his huge forgiveness of you because let's face it every sin is avoidable sin is not inevitable the debt that we have run up before God is every bit avoidable every bit of it and unless God had not just frankly forgiven us to use the term from the uh, the, uh, the parable the Lord Jesus told about this kind of thing, the, the frankness of his forgiveness I just love. He frankly forgave the man in the parable. And that is exactly what we've experienced, is it not? Have you not felt God's frank forgiveness? If you've not felt the frankness of it, just the, just the putting it on the table saying, look, it's done, it's scribbled, that is scribbled, play on. If you haven't felt that, you haven't lived. I mean, you really haven't lived spiritually. And if you have, then you will be empowered to get over this sense that, look here, get a haircut, get a job, uh, and don't come to me. Uh, and that whole thing about, I'm not going to help people who could help themselves, will go out of the window. Now, you will help him, verse 8, in his need. You might like to scribble in your margin there by need, and put a circle around the word need, and... Well, what I do, I write SW, which means same word, same Hebrew word, Psalm 34, verse 9. There is no want, there is no need to them that fear the Lord. And the same word is used very often in the Proverbs about how it is the lazy and the unspiritual and the foolish and the unwise who experience need or want. Proverbs 14, 23, 21 verse 5, 24 verse 34. So, need or want, this Hebrew word that's used about that, uh, is 
in the Old Covenant context, understood as arising uh, because of laziness, unwisdom, unspirituality, and not fearing the Lord. And yet you are to help him, this poor brother, and if you are, as he says earlier in Deuteronomy 15, if you are obedient to God's word, you will not be poor. Uh, Okay, you are to help him. You are to respond to that need. And I wonder if there's a proverb, 28 verse 27 in the Proverbs, that actually is commenting upon all this. He that gives to the poor, and this is the same word, shall not lack. Again, the sense is, but if I give that to him, to he who is lazy, unwise, makes such stupid decisions, uh, etc., and shall be back asking me next month, uh, I shall lack. You will not lack. And this is the great wonder, mystery really, of generosity and of having a generous spirit. He says in verse 10, you shall not be grieved. Well, God loves a cheerful giver. You shouldn't do this thinking, oh, yeah, well, Deuteronomy 15, yeah, what Duncan was saying the other day, I better do it, and do it with a heavy, cynical heart. I frankly admit uh, in front of you all that I have done that many times. I have responded to such needs of such poor people, those who are poor through as, in the context of this chapter, uh, from not diligently hearkening to God's word, poor and needy in the context of Proverbs and Psalm 34.9 from not fearing the Lord and from unwise decisions and I have helped them but I have not done so cheerfully and it has grieved me and I have come home and moaned to my wife about such and such a person and what I did and yeah well I gave them you know, 20 euros or 50 euros or whatever um, no do not be grieved scariest of all when you probe around the real meaning of that hebrew word for grieve you find it's usually translated evil so to actually do all this uh, in that frame of mind uh, is actually evil so to feel rough about helping someone who's in a fault of their own making uh, is evil well, why this extreme language And I think it is because it all shows a total lack of realization of the degree to which we have been redeemed from our huge unpayable debt. Now, if only you can do that, live in the spirit of of joyful response to others' need, uh, even when the need is uh, because of their own unspirituality, then you will be blessed, verse 10, uh, in all that you put your hand to. Now, this is the second time we've read in two verses about the word hand. Verse 8, open your hand wide, and then, verse 10, you'll be blessed in all that you put your hand to. So I think there's an upward spiral here. You open your hand wide in these cases, not grieving in doing it, and you'll, you will be blessed in all that you put your hand to. Now, I don't think it's necessarily implying that, you know, you, you, give, uh, you give 50 euros to uh, one of these uh, cases, shall we call them, and uh, you, you're going to get 500 in the post tomorrow. Uh, no. Not at all. Um, I think it's more a promise of general blessing in all that you put your hand to. And again, 
Although I have admitted failure in not doing this as a cheerful giver, I can also testify uh, from my own life uh, to having had this blessing of what I've put my hand to uh, as a result, a direct result of living like this for others. And as I keep saying, this is not all about financial poverty. The people who are in debt to you big time uh, for all kinds of betrayals, unkindness, uh, sin against you, slander of you, uh, turning other people against you, etc., etc. These are big debts that they have. And you may say, well, it's not for me uh, to forgive them. You know, they've got to repent first. No, uh, the whole spirit of this is no. It's all talking about releasing legitimate debt. The debt is legitimate. It's not that you're making up a story. They actually did these things to you. They borrowed money uh, in a financial context. They really slandered you. They really uh, turned your partner against you, poisoned your kids against you. Uh, they really did these things. Um, but... <laughs> By realizing how much you have been forgiven, if you open your hand to them and release them from that debt, then you will find a blessing in all that you've put your hand to. And yet there are people, many people, in fact the world is full of them, who play the tape over and over again. Play the uh, CD, play the file or whatever I should say these days, uh, over and over again. They said this. She said that. I can remember to this day uh, the look on his face. You know, release, release, release. Let it go. Let them go free. And it may not necessarily require a letter from you telling them that they are released. That may be a good idea. Um, but it's something within you. By keeping on playing the whole thing over again and again. Uh, you will find that the whole thing just spirals downwards and you do not have that blessing of all that you put your hand to because your hand is so tight because you will not release. Verse 11, he talks about your poor and your needy. You shall open your hand wide to your brother. Again, this is the third time the word hand is used. Uh, to your poor and to your needy. They are yours. Their issues and needs, their bad behaviour, the debt they've run up, uh, they are your poor and needy. Now, as I've said, there's amazing psychological penetration here into the thought processes we have when we encounter need and poverty in whatever sense. The idea is, uh, I think, very often with us that it's their fault, and we've looked at that um, just now. Uh, and the other idea is that this isn't anything to do with me. Uh, someone else will respond. They're not my poor. They're not my needy. They're not my kids or you know our immediate uh, frame of concern. Somebody else, probably God himself directly, is going to look after them. But the point is they are your poor and they are your needy. The needs and the poverty are ours. And so, as I say, the two big reasons that explain our lack of financial generosity, that explain our lack of generosity in terms of forgiving and releasing people in all kinds of ways, are, are gone into here directly. First of all, the whole myth about it's their fault. They're in this position because they sinned. 
Well, yes, sure they are, but you're told directly here to address and open your hand to meet their need, even though the Bible says that uh, those in need in the Old Covenant context were those who were not obedient to, to God and were unwise and, un, and foolish and unspiritual, etc. Uh, and secondly, the idea that, well, it's nothing to do with me. So often we have this in, in uh, church life and ecclesial life, somebody's failed, somebody's messed up uh, yeah well they can't come here because they've got to get right with so and so no, they are your poor and your needy, ah uh, they were disfellowshipped by such and such ecclesia ah uh, they can't come here no, they, their need is yours, their debt is, is with you and you must do something about it uh, it's their fault they should get right with this person they shouldn't have done that They've got to put it right. They divorced and remarried, or she divorced and remarried. Uh, she's got to put it right. Da, da, da. You know, I, I fear, I terribly fear for these attitudes which are enshrined in things like church constitutions and statements of faith and so forth. Because you're enshrining a way of living and of dealing with situations like this, which is, I'm afraid, uh, counting you out of God's kingdom, it, it seems to me. I'm sure we'll or be saved by grace um, but uh, I, I fear very much for those attitudes now this whole idea that we have been redeemed and therefore we should be so wide handed um, is in the context of Israel uh, is based on the fact that they their redemption from Egypt out of slavery despite them being so spiritually weak was intended to have had such huge impact psychologically upon Israel that in practice they would be forgiving, release each other from debt in whatever form, etc. In verses 12 to 14 you have another uh, extension of that idea, I think. You are to let the servant go free, send him away, and not let him go empty, but give him of your good things. That is all the language of Israel coming out of Egypt. They were servants or slaves in Egypt. They were let go free. They were sent away by the Egyptians. But they did not go empty. And in fact, they came out of Egypt loaded with the good things of Egypt, which the Egyptians had given them. Now, in verse uh, 15 that is made explicit and you shall remember that you were a bondman in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you therefore I command you this thing today so then where do we get the motivation from to act in this totally counterintuitive counterinstinctive way of releasing others from their legitimate debt to us it is in our own experience of redemption of release uh, and as Jesus puts it in the parable we are the ones who have been forgiven this debt that is so huge that really every moment of the rest of our lives we should be walking around on air in awe continually remembering that release and that will mean that we will not demand of others any debt and by not demanding it, that means that you don't lie awake at night demanding it in your own mind and in your own self-talk from others, but instead 
release, release.